This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue, and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. What's good? My name is Chris Dales. This is Trap and Anonymous. Um, I don't think I've come up with the, the name of this episode yet, if I wanted to call it lawyer anonymous or public defendant anonymous, I don't I don't think I really know which which one I'm gonna go with. But um, it's just definitely a, a strong topic that I feel like we need to discuss. I think it's a topic that um, has gotten popular um, over the oh over the recent recent times. Recent times, I think this topic has gotten really popular. Uh, some notable figures um, just being arrested and the hip hop police and uh, people thinking about uh, just being targeted as the black community minorities being targeted. Um, And we're going to discuss prison reform a bit. Um, So we have someone here who was able to talk to us kind of from an angle and a side that we don't typically get to hear from. Um, every day uh, I thank you for all of the support That you've been given Trapping Anonymous I thank you Title, for Allowing us this platform uh, Y'all already know If y'all want to uh, support Trapping Anonymous Y'all want to support them t-shirts I got the new premium Trapping Anonymous t-shirts They're on hiphopcloset.com Again it's on hiphopcloset.com Or you can check out my Twitter My Instagram I have the links up there You can go see how you could Grab you one of those Trapping Anonymous premium t-shirts Support your boy Thank you for listening Remember This is only entertainment Please don't get me indicted This is Trapping Anonymous My name is Chris Dev. The United States is home to 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prisoners. That means one out of four people in America is in jail. What can you say about that? Um, first and foremost... I think we have to deal with jail versus prison. So jail is where you are when you have um, where you're either awaiting sentencing or you're waiting for your trial to um, see how it plays out versus prison where you're sentenced to um, a term of more than a year. Okay. So a majority of people, they just go to prison until they make bail. If they can make bail, They'll go to prison in order to 
Wait for a trial date? No. So you go to jail and you wait for, if you're not able to make bail, you go to jail. Mm -hmm. And that's where you go and you stay until you are able to either make the bail or until the disposition of your case. So whatever the outcome may be. Or if you're sentenced to a time that's less than a year. Okay. So what is your job title? I'm a staff attorney and I work for a public defender's office. Okay. So I kind of want to get into the public defendant, you know what I'm saying? Um, t- talk to me a little bit about that job. It, what did you think about it before you uh, got the position? And what do you think about it now? So I've always wanted to be in criminal law. I just thought that it was the most interesting to me in terms of all aspects of the law. Um, in terms of being a public defender, I think that, you know, you need more minorities in the office because who's better to represent us than us? Absolutely. Because we do um, represent indigent clients, those who can't afford private counsel, which are most people. Right. Um, Even if they have private counsel, once they can't afford them anymore, we get assigned. Mm. Okay. So... You know, we have an array do, of clients. Do you do you feel like you you guys kind of get uh, disrespected in a sense um, because you're you're maybe not like a paid lawyer? I was always told, like even when I had got into some um, legal trouble for mistaken identity, which I spoke about on this podcast. I remember when I got into um, that whole situation. They was always encouraging me to get a lawyer because it just looks better or to like the judge. The judge might look at you as somebody who's not, you know, uh-huh. who's got their thing together. I don't know. Is that, does that have any validity? I absolutely wouldn't think that it has validity because the same way that I had to study for the bar, pass it and things like that, um, private counsel has had to do the same. And honestly, sometimes people go straight into private counsel and they don't have the everyday interaction because they get to pick and choose who their clients are. As a public defender, when I work arraignments or something like that, I have to take whatever client I get. And I'm constantly in the courtroom every day. Mm. So I get an array of clients. I speak with an array of ethnicities. Right. Um, races, whatever you may think, I speak with them. I deal with them. Um, I deal with an array of charges at arraignments. However, my specialty is um, domestic violence, mm-hmm. misdemeanors, and felonies, mm-hmm. as well as some driving while intoxicated. I like what you said earlier when you mentioned the fact that we need more of us in those positions. Mm-hmm. Just because I feel like you're going to look at the case with just a different lens. And I think everything matters, especially when you're representing someone. The language, maybe they may be able to convey something to you that they probably couldn't convey to maybe a white lawyer. Mm-hmm. You know, just talk about that kind of dynamic when they see you. Is there like a a sister vibe? Is it like a mother vibe? Like what kind of vibe do they do the... Uh, I think it all depends because some people who've already had interaction, it depends on the representation that they've gotten before. Um, Some people who are new to the interaction, they'll say they'll have that misconception that we're overworking, underpaid. We're not going to give our clients, you know, the best representation that we can because we just have so many cases and things like that. And I think it all... um, kind of falls down on the individual attorney. However, when you come in, they also look at how you carry yourself. So 
I mean, looking at me being in a mi- being a minority female mm-hmm. and the jurisdiction that I work in, young black queen, yes, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> when they see me, some people definitely underestimate me right. until I open my mouth, until they see me kind of fight for them. Right. But sometimes, you know. You have to push through that, and that's something that, you know, sometimes I struggle with, but sometimes I'm like, I'll prove it to you. Okay, so this is Trapping Anonymous. I do conceal all identities of all of my guests because, you know, it's only entertainment. Please don't get me indicted. However, like, so I, I, you, don't, you don't work in the city, do you? I don't, without, we're not going to give away, like, <laughs> where you work, but the location. I just kind of want to talk about the difference of maybe working in the city and maybe working where you work. Okay. I'll just say I work in the tri-state area. Okay. Let's keep it that broad. Um, But where I do work, there's a difference between other places where I've interned in terms of the judges, in terms of um, the community that surrounds it. Okay. So what are like some of the differences maybe that you would see maybe in the city Uh or then you would see, like, maybe in a county, I don't know, in Long Island or Westchester or something like that. Okay. Um, There'll be differences in the race of your judges. That's a difference. Mm. There's a difference between, um, I wouldn't say necessarily the clients, the demographic, because, you know, it's mixed um, everywhere so far that I've interned and or worked. Right. But in terms of Say if you're going to pick a jury, it's very different. Mm. It's very different. However, the jury. However, when you're dealing with places like, um, say Brooklyn, before you would think, oh, you know, everyone is not pro cop. Whereas some of those outlying places, they are pro cop. Right. So you know, the outcomes are very different. However, Brooklyn, because the demographic is changing, and some of us are moving out. Mm-hmm. Or being pushed out. I oh, would gentrification. Say. Let's talk about it. <laughs> right, the jury pool is changing. Um, yeah, it, it, just something that simple, right? Yep. Gentrification pushing people out. People don't acknowledge or re- even realize. I know I certainly didn't realize something like a jury changes. Yes. Yes. During the process of gentrification. Yes, because you. Have so that to means do- the people that were once fighting for let's say minorities uh-huh. in a jury position uh-huh. are now completely different types of people. Exactly. With completely different type of experiences, views. backgrounds, views. Yes. They have very different interactions as it comes to police or your own peers and mm-hmm. things like that. And you're entitled to a jury of your peers. However, if that's who's in your community and that's yes. who's summoned to jury duty, this now, is what I'm talking. You got the you different. got the you got the million dollar condos across the street from Four Green Projects, mm-hmm. so that when JoJo gets wrongfully arrested, we're gonna say wrongfully right now because I want to defend the people. Absolutely. When we talk about <laughs> JoJo that gets wrongfully arrested, he gets placed in you know prison, and his jury is made up of. The person in the $750,000 unit. Mm-hmm. Who's either never oh. really set foot in our community before. Uh-uh. They come from a whole different kind of family Their biggest interaction with the cops is, hey, that's Bob, family. how that's you doing? Family. 
It's yeah. not just their neighbor. That's their family. That's their Where's uncle. Where's that PBA card you promised me? That's their dad. Oh, no. They don't need a PBA card. They're getting a placard. They're getting oh, all right. these other things. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, PBA card, that's what we like. That's what we like. We, we don't come from that. So, can be talking. You, know, me. you get a little friend who's an officer yeah, or yeah, something give me a like PBA that. You're like, oh, let me get that PBA card. No, no, no. That ain't fun. When you come from something else and those are your family members. Yeah, they're giving you the badge. Okay. 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 So we. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about some of these stories that you may have seen. You know, I don't want to give away anybody's you know personal tale, but like some of these stories that you may have seen that may have been maybe unjust, unfair, or sometimes it may have been just. You know, because I know there was a time that you and I was talking, and you was like, as much as we could try to defend, you know, the prison reform and people that are wrongfully arrested, sometimes. Jojo need to be locked up. <laughs> we are so, especially in the black community, we mm-hmm. are so gun hole about free my son, free him till they free him, free him till. And we saying free this person, free this person until it's backwards. And then this person was like, uh, they terrorized the community. They done shot two, three people. Mm-hmm. They done robbed the local bodega, mm-hmm. right? They done mm-hmm. ran down on you and tapped your pockets. They done knocked so-and-so inside the head. So talk to me about some of those experiences and what that dynamic is like. So this man is a difficult one because being young, you know, and coming from, well, being from Brooklyn, you yeah. know, or whatever, you always used to see, you're used to seeing free this, free that, free that until it's your family member that's mm. being victimized by mm. something like this. So I always tell people, you have to tread the line, you know what I'm saying? And kind of be careful, yeah. you know, what position you're taking. And I come from, I zealously advocate for my clients. However, everyone is not innocent. Right. But my job is to make sure their rights aren't infringed upon. If you want to prosecute this person, you have to be fair. Do your job and do your due diligence. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You have to do it and do it right. However, I also want it to be fair. You yeah. know, sometimes there's space for maybe they don't need jail time. Maybe they need treatment. Mm. Because if it's maybe an underlying drug problem or something like that. Yeah, they're clean for 60 days, 90 days, you know, whatever the treatment may be or whatever the sentence may be. Mm. But once they come back out, they're going back to their old ways. Sometimes, Mm. you know, they need social work referrals. Right. To help them kind of switch their habits. Has there ever been a time where you saw someone and you was like, yeah, maybe they deserve that time that they was getting? I would say... Um, recently, I would say more so if they were like, if they had, maybe if they took probation, because mm-hmm. this is the big thing, probation versus taking the jail time, mm. a sentence, right? A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to take probation because I'm free. You're free in the sense of you get to wake up every day and walk outside and mm-hmm. you're not in um, the confines, you're in, not in the confines of the system, physically mm-hmm. however you are still on papers you still have to go and you have to check in and people aren't always cognizant of that especially when they get longer probation sentences sometimes two years three years you know what I, another thing i think about that probation is like these are not like your everyday stand-up citizens to begin with mm-hmm. so you're getting probation 
And then you're going back to the life you used to live. It's not like you're getting probation and now you suddenly got a new job. You got a new environment. You're not hanging out with the old friends anymore. You're on probation and still living Uh the same life. It's very true. And then, and then I don't even expect you to just be able to change like that, mm-hmm. like that fast. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like sometimes, so you, what you're saying is sometimes it's just better to... Sometimes it is better because if you're not able to be disciplined enough to continue with your, you know, to continue following, you know, the demands or the mandates of your probation, because it's not just, oh, you have to check in. Sometimes they have, you know, certain other checklist you have to you can't be under the influence of alcohol or you yeah, know things that are very tests. very simple because who doesn't want to go get a drink at happy hour with their friends or something like that right. and for three years that's your life you can't do that right. so sometimes as an attorney it's hard because you don't want to see your client go and be sentenced and things like that but if you can get a um a shorter sentence maybe 60 days and if they already have time in it counts towards it versus three years and they keep coming back because they're violating mm. then sometimes it draws out the process even longer and they end up taking the jail sentence <sighs> i i mean I, I guess i could see i guess i could see like why people would absolutely just be like oh yeah give me probation you know what i mean of course but then um yeah, I mean, you you look at a guy like I don't like a Meek Mill, right? And he gets ten years probation at I don't know twenty two or eighteen, right? It's like mm-hmm. it's just a kid, right? He's just a kid. I don't expect a kid to even carry out a ten year pro to stay out of trouble for ten years, mm-hmm. and you are going back to the ghetto. I just really think that is just it's set up for you to literally failed in a in a in a in a in a judicial system like they're patient <laughs> they they're not thinking about the short term they're thinking about long term they're thinking about after you violate they know you'll be back that's why they're not in a rush to like get you you know what i'm saying true true it depends because i've actually recently seen judges who sometimes talk to their clients and I mean, I always give my clients the options. Mm-hmm. I tell them this is number one, this is number two. Yeah. I can't say everyone else does that. Right. Even private counsel, sometimes they just want to take the money. You know, everyone doesn't have your client, their client's best interest at heart. Um, however, there are some judges, even though they may be few and far between, who tell them to seriously consider it. Yo, I always I, I wondered about are. that. Yeah, because there was like a video that went viral of this really compassionate judge, mm-hmm. and they were just like, look. I'll cut you a break. Like, do you ever get to see that where judges like cut the uh, the inmates some slack sometimes? Or? Absolutely, and surprising. It's been actually very surprising, um, and I don't want to say that it's been surprising, but sometimes it is surprising, right? Because I've seen judges that don't even look at the clients, but then I've seen others that really take their time, and people who violate instead of automatically, you know, sentencing them, giving them chances. Wow, yeah, that's you know, fire. that's fine. And um, even working with the probation officers, the probation officer may recommend one thing, but sometimes the judge actually goes against that, mm. and if they even see an inkling of the um, client making some kind of effort, right. you know, they take that into consideration, but also that comes with the attorney because you have to speak with your client and, you know, 
sometimes they don't always tell you everything because they don't know what matters. Right. So sometimes you have to reach and pull and dig for, you know, certain facts and things like that that's and like, relay that to the judge because you're essentially their mouthpiece. That's why, you know, I, I also want to highlight, you know, some of the good things that are being done. I don't want this to just mm-hmm. be a bashing. Let's let's tear it like the system down, Absolutely you know, not. that has tore so many people down. But it's also kept some really bad people off the streets, if we're just being really honest. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about the sexism, maybe racism, Young being young and black and in the profession, number one, congratulations. <laughs> you know, you, I really you. do commend, you know, your ability to just go to school, pass that exam, you know, get inducted. Like, that's crazy. Before we jump into the sexism and racism, what was that process like for you? Difficult. It was difficult. It was a test of my faith to the ultimate max. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to quit, but once I was sworn in, it made it all worth it. And wow. before I was sworn in, I was already employed and I had a caseload. So it, you know, kind of put the icing on the cake. Like, how long did I it take for. you to pass that exam? Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that exam be having niggas on the Brooklyn Bridge ready to just, you know, just ready to jump. Yeah. Um, a time too many. Yeah, you don't even want to speak on it. I'll be candid. It took me three times. Mm. It took me three times. That sounds like a little bit, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean a lot of Over the course of how long? It. So I took it, the first time I took it was a February. Right. Because it's administered twice a year. So February and July. So I took it a February. I missed it by eight points. I took wow. it um, a July. I missed it by six points. And the next time I just passed. <laughs> what did that do to your mentality? It makes you question everything. Like, you know, you question, is this really for me? You know, especially when education has always come easy to me all the way up in and through college. It kind of makes you question it. Um, But when you have a great support system, Mm. you know, and especially people who you don't speak with on the um, everyday Mm -hmm. basis, when they actually acknowledge or they just send random shows of support. Right, right, right. It all matters. You know, that does help. So for you to go through all of that, mm-hmm. you you know you take the bar, mm-hmm. you 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 finally pass it. You get mm-hmm. a good, you get the job. You enter and that, that in itself. You is another thing getting the job. Oh yeah, you still gotta. <laughs> That's a whole nother process in itself because you have to prove yourself because it's competitive. And this is why I be trying. Like people think, go to school, get an education. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Get a good job. It's like how. How it's hard. It's hard. I still gotta find a job, and then I need experience. Know. Little then I got to start an entry. Then I got to... It's so much. It's, life is hard. And that's a testament to it's who you know. Because mm. I had a homegirl who was already employed there. Yeah. And we interned together. Right. She knew my work ethic. And we stayed friends after interning. We met. We became friends at an internship. And she said, girl, give me your... Um, send me your resume right now. And she placed it on someone's desk. See, that's what I'm talking about right there. Even the job that I got right now is because of a referral. Mm-hmm. So you, you enter this space and... They see the young black woman. How do you think that plays a part in where you work? Maybe with the judges, maybe with coworkers. Like, break it down for us. So, because of the place where I work, honestly, being a minority in this field is hard enough. Being a female minority is even harder. So, you have to prove yourself double time, triple time, all the time. So, it's not like scandal. <laughs> No, no. I'm sure she did a lot of pushing and thugging her way through to get where she was. Um, 
But sometimes you just feel like, I don't have to prove anything to anyone. My clients come first. But then sometimes you feel like, I have to prove myself. So you go the extra mile. Um, But after a while, your work starts to speak for itself. Do you see a difference between maybe it could be a white judge? I know the majority of judges Uh are white, right? Depends on your jurisdiction. Uh, And that's another thing, the importance of voting. Uh, yes. So we'll talk about that one after. Okay. If you want to. So you got to okay. vote. You got to vote to put these people in places of power. Oh, absolutely. And I have this, you know, I have friends, of course. It's, why do we vote? You know, people yeah, yeah, like yeah. Trump are in power. Right. But I'm like, we don't always. We need to vote at a local level. Absolutely. Right. Because all judges aren't appointed. Some are elected. So oh, they okay. have to run. They have to, you know, kiss babies, shake hands, do all the other I stuff. I think everything, everything matters. Absolutely. And guess what? Those judges who we vote for are the ones that sit there on those benches and determine or help determine the fate of these people or the fate of our clients. Do you ever see a difference with you being the, the attorney? Do you ever see a difference maybe with a white judge with the way they treat you opposed to maybe the other judge? I mean, maybe the other attorney may be white. So being that you're black and they're white, is there a difference or do you think they stay pretty like liberal? And I think it depends on the judge. Um, some are very narrow minded. And, you know, I came in straight into the courtroom and they, everyone just assumed I was an intern. You know, you're not able to speak on the record or things like that. Or they'll, you know, go off the record to ask me what's my position. Wow. What is the, what is the um, pay like for the public defendant? Modest. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> modest. <laughs> modest. What is modest? Like, it's to the point where passion has to drive you. Wow. Passion has to fuel So it's your not clients. in the six figures. No. <laughs> this is what no. you go to school all this time. You do all this examination. You know, you do all of this to become, you know, a part of uh-huh. this small, small circle, and you're not even make, well, making six figures, right? But you know, you have to liken it to that of social work. We know social workers don't make That's that true. much, but That's true. passion fuels us because you know you want to be the change that you want to see. So mm-hmm. you have to start someplace. You can't just come in and say, yeah, I want to see that change point figures and say what the change needs to be. But you're not putting yourself in that position to help implement the change. Hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's some places that, you know, they do um, cost of living increases mm-hmm. and things like that. Or, And it also depends on the budget. Yeah. Because we are funded by, you know, the city, depending on which um, public defender agency you work for, some of them. Funded by counties, yeah. the city, and things like that. So, you know, but there are some perks to it. Um, when you work there for a certain amount of years, you get some of your federal loans forgiven mm. because you know it's public interest. Mm-hmm. Um, things like that. So, what what um what is your take? Do you think that minorities are targeted by the police, especially with the cases that you hear on a day to day basis? There must be some really heartbreaking uh, cases that you hear. Do you feel like the minorities and uh, people of color are targeted by the police? I would say yes, because they have this thing called aggressive prosecution. You know, what's and that? Aggressive prosecution meaning they think if they crack down on, you know, everything that they see, um, every behavior that they'll consider illegal. Mm-hmm. If we aggressively prosecute it, then it won't happen anymore. And that's a thing of the past. So but aggressively still prosecuting has... mean 
give heavy sentencing? Not only heavy sentencing, but also let's just charge this, charge everything. Whereas, you know, sometimes people will get a pass. Like, oh, this is not that serious. Because sometimes, you know, officers have a little bit of discretion whether or not to charge certain things. So that's why now, you know, they have the things with um, the marijuana, you know, um, giving more lenient sentences and things like that because they're trying to undo that. Because honestly, once you open that book and you subject yourself, I don't even want to say subject yourself, but you are subjected to the criminal justice system, it's so easy to continuously build up new cases, you know, new charges and things like that. Especially they, they know all they have to do is open you up to it. All they got to do is yes. put the cuffs on you one time and you will be exposed to it for the rest of your natural life. It's called recidivism. There are some people who don't do it because that's just not in their nature. Right. Wrong place, wrong time. Right. They just caught up in a, you know, heat of the moment kind of situation. But then there are others that once you come out, you don't, you know, that follows you. Yeah. When you're looking for a job and that background check hits. It destroys you. Yes. It and then they get discouraged. Destroys so then you. The crime. They go back worse. to crime. Yes. How do we want these people to come back into the, the people that legitimately made a mistake, right? Right. The people that were wrongfully prosecuted, right? Mm-hmm. The people that, you know, were young at the time and, you know, they've grown to be an adult that is like remorseful and mm-hmm. these people still have to live below class. Like, yep. let's say they're minority. They're already below, mm-hmm. off the out the gate. And now you're talking about now you have an asterisk next to your name as well as being mm-hmm. below society. Right. And it also, you know, your support system helps. Because you're already kind of lacking, you know, the financial means. Mm-hmm. So if you're unable to get this job or, you know, to progress and you don't have that support system that can There's help no you out. fight through that. Yeah. It's modern right. day slavery. And even... Even your support system helps you when you're being arraigned. Judges ask, you know, they like to see that you have someone there waiting for you upon your release, if you are released. You know, Mm. those things make a difference because um, they have like a score sheet. Mm -hmm. So when you're arrested, you know, an individual comes back and asks you things about your employment, your ties to the community. Yeah, they want to know. Yeah, you know, will someone be here to support you? Do you have, you know, a prior record? Um Failures to appear and things like that. I think that's another reason why they really do not want to make marijuana legal everywhere. Think about just all of the people that are in jail for marijuana, right? Mm-hmm. Like, th- those people have to be set free, right? Well, it just depends. Because if it was done when, you know, it was illegal, then that's one thing. But they can potentially retroactively kind of set them free. But, you know, I mean, right now where it is, they're not really prosecuting them like that. They're giving them, you know, um, ACD. So, like, you know, the case will stay open as long as you, you know, stay out of trouble for a certain amount of time. It will close and things like that. And there's also certain programs that the ADA's office has, you know, not to say, oh, all prosecutors are bad. There's some programs that, you know, for instance, Kings County, if you have open warrants and things like that, people are scared to go in because they think they're going to stay in jail. Hmm. So they run away, you know, when hmm. they know they have a warrant, yeah. but they have like a problem that you can go and they'll dismiss your warrant, de- you know, depending on what it's for. But for me, that's like, that's like 
me going to the store and, I don't know, stealing a bag of chips, right? And mm-hmm. I go, get locked up for stealing a bag of chips. Okay. Five years later, two years later, stealing bags of chips is legal. <laughs> I need to get the f- out of jail. I need to get out of jail because you got people out there stealing bags of chips. I'm sitting here doing time for it. It just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And let's be real. Why is marijuana legal? Let's be real. Yeah, they want it. They want that, that tax money. They want, you know, they want all of that to, you know, fuel an economy. But like white people was not willing to let go of the weed. I feel like in order for change to happen in America, unfortunately, it has to become a white issue. Absolutely. Once it becomes a white issue, too many corporate level bosses was up there smoking the weed. But guess what the white issue is? What's that? Harder drugs. Heroin. Oh, my God. Yeah. Coke. Xanax. Things like that. Those are the white people issues. If you really want to say that, or, you know, some of the white collar crimes, that's what the most white people, I don't want to, you know, paint this with a broad brush, but most of them are doing fed time or they're doing like driving while intoxicated. Mm-hmm. That's an every man's crime. Mm-hmm. We as public you defenders, could be the, you could be the, the sweetest person. You can be anybody. If I go to lockup and I see a guy in a suit yep. and something, I'm like. Oh, D- most likely, I would say it's a DWI. You know, it could be either for alcohol or it could be for drugs. And half the time, they don't, you know, really, they retain private counsel. Mm. Either because they're ineligible, you know, for the public defenders because, you know, we're for the indigent. Oh, uh, and what's the indigent? People who can't afford private counsel. Okay, right. So either that or they just think that private counsel, you know, they go with that misconception that private counsel is just so much better than, you know, having mm-hmm. a public defender, which, I mean, tomato, tomato. It's just up to who your public defender is, I think. But I do think that there are a lot of people who are passionate about it mm-hmm. and are dispelling that myth, who are, Good. you know, working their hardest mm-hmm. and things like that. And, you know, sometimes we talk a lot about people copping out. Yeah. Or we are making people cop out. Yeah. But sometimes it's the clients. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Yes. Um, I've always wanted to ask a lawyer this, right? <laughs> what happens when a case goes against your morality or your ethics? Like, you as a person, like, what happens when you get a case and you maybe have to defend someone or it's beneficial for you to defend someone or the money is right for you to defend someone mm-hmm. that does something or has done something... You know, that is completely against Uh everything you believe. So I had this whole dilemma myself, you know, because I always wanted to be a public defender. I always wanted, you know, to start at the ground. And, you know, I felt there will always be prosecutors. And so I was going to be a public defender. But I said, you know, what happens when there comes a time that there's a case that I just can't stand by? And I really had to speak with different professors and things like that. And that's where I stand by. Even if the client may be guilty, because again, I said, I don't believe that everyone is innocent. But if you're going to lay these charges, lay them properly. If you're going to prosecute this person, do it properly. 
You understand what I'm saying? Do your paperwork properly. Bring all your evidence. Don't try to just lay in charges because you just want to throw the book at them and whatever sticks, sticks. I'm not going to have that happen. Whether I, that's when you separate the person. Well, I would say my emotions from my profession. Mm. Because I may not, you uh, know, I take everyone as they come. You understand what I'm saying? And I treat everyone with the same respect. All of my clients. It doesn't matter what race you are, how right. you treat me from the beginning. Sometimes, you know, I have to set a standard. This is how you won't speak with speak to me. If we need to reconvene at a later date, then we will do so. You know, if you are uncomfortable with my representation, you know, because maybe of my race or my gender, you can speak with someone else in my office, but I will command a certain amount of respect. And even if, talking, you know, it's a crime that I'm not comfortable with, yeah, I'm talking about the rapist. Like, I'm still going to do my due diligence. I'm talking about the the person that that you know that that kills twelve black people in a church. Ooh, that's a rough one. But you know, that's just me personally. Yeah. I mean, of course, I haven't come to any crossroads nearly, you know, close to something like that. But if it is a rapist, again, you have to lay in those charges properly. You have to go through this process of indicting this person or, you know, whatever the case may be and do it properly and by the books. And, and, and the same. same and I'm like- going to fight if you don't do it right. If it's not according to this penal law or this criminal procedure law. I'm going to fight against it because, yeah, we want these people off the streets, but we want them off the streets properly. Same, you understand same what I'm thing saying? For the, for the guy that walks into the church and shoots. Yes, 12. because if it's a crime that is so blatant, you shouldn't have a problem <laughs> bringing all the charges against them and, you know, but aggressively you get prosecuting the, you get the O.J. Simpson situations. Oh man, you always want to flip the script. I'm sorry. You know what? I'm sorry. And and and, and, it, and I knew this episode is not supposed to be easy, right? I don't think that. Right. I, I, and I'm playing devil's advocate because this stuff really happens. It really does. George Zimmerman is really a free man, and we know for a fact he shot and killed that boy. We know that. We do. And he's free. We because do. somebody said, I am going to make sure he is prosecuted by the exact extremity of the law. And they were unable to prove that. But guess what? That what? comes with the. That's not just the attorney themselves that comes with the criminal justice as a whole that comes with that jury pool you know <laughs> it just hurts absolutely it hurts and absolutely as a and as a lawyer hurts. you have to be the person to defend something that you cannot morally ethically mm-hmm. agree with at all but it is your job and your duty and as um have you run into that at all i haven't okay you know usually Private counsel, they can choose what cases they represent or not, or they can ask to be relieved. However, as a public defender, if you yourself personally are not comfortable with it, then you can ask, you know, you can speak to your higher ups 
and you know explain that and what you're not comfortable with someone else is you know and you can pass it off if you feel like me personally if I feel like I couldn't do someone you know a just job yeah like I am you know supposed to do and keep my integrity yeah I'm going to pass it off. I'm going to speak with my supervisor or whoever, you know, I need to speak when you with. Got, when you got sworn in and you, Absolutely. you, you got, you, you like, look, you hype. <laughs> you hype. As you should be. When you got sworn in, did you see um, maybe the difference in the way people started to treat you or everybody might need you or the way people perceived you or looked at you? Talking about in the workplace or in general? In life. Oh, absolutely. What did that feel like? When I went back to work, yeah. I had even more cases than I had before. Mm. Not to say I didn't have, I mean, I had a caseload. But not a true official. Oh, yeah. Then, you know, I didn't have to have a supervisor anymore. Mm. I didn't have to ask for waivers. You know, you explain to people, I've passed the bar, but I haven't been sworn in yet. So a lot of um, clients can say whether or not they're comfortable with you, you know, representing them. I haven't had pushback on that when I was under the practice order before getting sworn in. But with family, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Family and friends. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you just become a millionaire. A millionaire? No, you're the poorest person because guess what? Everyone wants favors. Mm. <laughs> but you just become like, you know, they think that you're the master of everything. Wow. So I'm getting calls to do contracts or look over contracts, you know, wills. Can you do my living will? Wow. Or, yeah. you know, what can you tell me about this person? Someone, everybody money? always <laughs> needs some type of lawyer or legal advice. and. Mm-hmm. Just to be that person in that position, I mean, I commend you because I don't know how to, you know, lost my mind. Um, this is what I love, though. This is what you love. And I was yes. just about to, from what you've seen so far and, you know, what you've experienced already, is this something you think you can be doing for maybe the next 30 years or say even the rest of your life? Um, of course, everyone aspires to do something different. At one point, I thought I wanted to be a criminal court judge, not to say that... That's still not a dream of mine. I think the politics may deter me a little bit as of right now because, you know, I see what it takes. Um, but ultimately, maybe I still will do it. Um, but it is something that I can continuously see in myself doing, um, at least for the next few years, because I'm passionate about it, you know, and I enjoy it. I like my clients. Sometimes the worst part about it is the office politics. Like, your clients will, oh, my gosh, you're so great. Oh, my gosh, can't wait to see you next time. Like, they're excited. Or yeah. when the case is closed, they're like, dang, I'm sad I'm not going to be able to see you anymore. I'm like, but aren't you yeah. happy that your case yeah. is over? You know, things like that. I do like my clients a lot. But because I handle the types of cases I handle, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a little... Taxing. A little, yes. It takes a toll on you. It does. And... I'm an emotional person, so I had to learn to separate my feelings from the facts of my cases. Not to say a few cases I do take home. Of course. You know, I kind of stew on it a little bit. But, um, you know, it is taxing a little bit. But I keep coming back every day. It's, you know, they're not days that I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I haven't had that yet. But I also feel like it might be a certain level of depression that just comes with this kind of job because you just hear so much unfortunate, you know, things. It's like unless you become numb, like completely cold 
to like some of this stuff, mm-hmm. you just find yourself becoming some of this stuff. Yeah, I think that now I'm getting more immersed into it and I'm having more clients that, you know, when you're working in a rain and your client is released, you're excited. But when there's, you know, some bail posters that you know they can't make, they don't have support or, you know, something like that, you feel, you know, you feel sad or, you know, what can I do or is there anything I could have done differently? And I have some amazing coworkers, so they, you know, they talk me through that. You know, because we all go through it at different times. I've seen, you know, us come back to the office and feel defeated or frustrated. Um, and then there are also times when I have clients that are in custody and there's real because it's a violation of probation or parole, you know, and there's nothing I can really do about it. But I try to be there to get their phone calls, you know, and just because it's just a waiting game. Sometimes you have to wait for your next court date, things like that. This is Lawyer Anonymous, Trapping Anonymous title. My name is Chris Stiles. It's only entertainment. Please don't get me indicted. Let's get it. This episode of Trapping Anonymous is engineered by Bunchanya Lunsford. <laughs>